0: The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. There are moments when life feels out of control and you and I think that we have little or no control, maybe because we've lost control. Some illustrations or examples maybe that you can immediately think of when you look at your life and you have felt out of control or you feel like you've lost control. Look at what's going on in the world around us, and you will quickly agree with me that you feel like, man, I, I don't know who's in control. I don't know what is going on. I don't, I don't feel like anybody's in control. Man, tragic events, uh, terrorist bombings. You turn on the news and you're, you're reading or you're hearing or you're watching economic trouble, uh, global disasters, and, and you're looking at your own life and you are like, man, I, I feel like the world's just spinning out of control, but it's not just something that's happening far away and distant, it's personal. Maybe a relationship feels out of control. Maybe a circumstance at work feels like it's beyond your control. Maybe you got a recent diagnosis or are wrestling with a sickness or a a family or relationship crisis. Maybe there's something going on privately in the issues of your own personal life that you feel like is out of control. Maybe you have an addiction that's out of control. Not too long ago, I was driving down the road and, um, coming to an intersection, there was a little bit of ice on the ground, so that kind of puts you in time frame, and um, hit the brakes, and was probably going a little too fast for the fact that there was snow on the ground. Didn't realize there was ice in the intersection. I slid right through it. There was a car that had the right of way and just smashed right into me. And after it happened, I'm in my my Jeep, and I'm like, wow, what just happened happened. And as it was unfolding, you know, they say that everything slows down. It's like you're living in slow motion. That's exactly how I felt. Because I'm, I'm going through the intersection and I, I'm trying to react. I can see the car and, and literally there's nothing you can do. It's just like, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. Bam. And after I got out of the car and I turn and I see her car, her airbag has exp- you know gone off and and, in those moments, I thought, man, how cool it would be if I could hit the rewind button. Or in the situation, I could have hit the pause button and paused her car, drove through the intersection and let her keep going, right? But, there, but that's not how life works. No, there, there's no rewind button, there's no pause button. Life just unfolds and you and I are left to pick up the pieces. You and I have to go back and say we're sorry if that's even possible. You and I are stuck paying the bill. You and I are left driving your car to get repaired. You and I are left with all of the injuries and the tragedies that come from the accidents of life that happen in an out of control world. And then you read about these heroes in the Bible, the Bible, the the chronicle or the account of how God interacts with man throughout history. And when you read about these guys, they seem superhuman, as if God did it for them, but he doesn't do it for us. It seems like these guys don't relate to our life because they lived a superhuman life. It's as if they had the rewind button or they had the pause button, but you and I are stuck just watching it happen around us. And so sometimes we can read the Bible as though it's disconnected from reality, at least from our reality. And so you can imagine there's this guy named James. He's the brother of Jesus. And so imagine the sibling rivalry. James, why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? Come on, really? (laughs) You're gonna compare me to God? All right, so anyway, you can imagine that when James compares himself to Jesus, he feels inadequate. Feels like he doesn't measure up. and so he, in a letter that he wrote to the church that he pastored in Jerusalem, in the Bible it's called the letter of James or simply abbreviated James. He makes this point that people like him struggle with the tension when they think about Jesus. And when they think about the heroes of the Bible, those people can seem superhuman or extraordinary in contrast to James and the rest of us who feel very ordinary. And so in his letter, which is now, we we read it as James chapter five, verse 17, he's he's making a reference to this ancient hero. And he says, hey, this guy, Elijah, he was a man just like us. And he's just kind of like clearing the air. Hey, everybody, heads up. There are these heroes of the Bible. There's these heroes who interacted with God in such a way that they seem superhuman, but really they were ordinary. They're regular guys, just like us. And that's encouraging for people like me, because when I read the story of Elijah, he doesn't seem like a regular guy. Here's the context of Elijah. Elijah is called to be a messenger. Thus, We're going to be doing a series called Don't Shoot the Messenger, because anytime you see one of these guys show up on the scene, people are always trying to kill him. And Elijah finds himself regularly in spots where people are trying to kill him. And other messengers called by God, they're raised up throughout history by God, and they're always trying to, people are always trying to kill them. So we're going to look at this guy, Elijah, today, and he he is called by god to be a messenger in this in a season where his nation has turned its back on god and the normal way of living is to act as though God the creator doesn't even exist. And so they turned their back on God as a nation and they began to make gods of their own perversion, of their own greed, of their own desires. And they found and created gods that matched their desires. The name of their gods were Baal and Asherah. And so they made statutes and they made poles and they would worship them in the most greedy and perverse way possible. And God calls Elijah to be a messenger, to challenge the abusive way that the rich were mistreating the poor. Those with power were taking advantage of the weak and people in general had turned their back on God had, had turned toward their own wicked and horrible desires. And so we're going to look at the story of Elijah today and he comes and he is confronting the king. And when he meets the king, this is how the king replies. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, this is found in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17. The king said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? You troublemaker, you instigator, you, you who comes and you bring turmoil. And, and here's what the king is saying. Why is it? Elijah, that every time you show up, you bring a message that stirs the pot. Here we are, we're all happy, we're enjoying life, things are going good, we're having a big party, and then you show up and you're a big killjoy. We're very comfortable enjoying the way we worship our gods. We like the way we're enjoying our wealth. Why do you always have to show up and be a troublemaker? Why do you always have to bring messages that are a killjoy, that tell us that we're not allowed to do this and we shouldn't do that, you troubler of Israel? And the, the, really the point that quickly begins to jump off these pages as you read about the life of Elijah is that God raises up messengers to confront the status quo to challenge people and a nation that what looks normal is actually headed toward ruin in a wrong direction. It's as if you're in a car headed into a massive car accident and it's your fault. And so Elijah confronts the king and confronts the nation. And he says this, now summon the people from all over Israel to, to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So he's saying, here is this uh, state-sponsored religious perversion and I wanna, I'm calling a duel. I'm challenging you. Let's go up on the mountain and we're gonna go up there and you're gonna, you're gonna set up your altar and I'm gonna set up my altar and we're gonna have a duel, a divine duel. Challenge a divine duel. And then he goes like this, here's how this duel is gonna work. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. So here's this duel. We're both gonna sacrifice animals on altars, but you can't bring any fire to the, to the duel. And the real God is gonna have to send his own fire to receive the sacrifice. And whichever God sends fire, everyone in the nation will know that is the real God. Is that a good duel? You guys like it? Let's go. And so the whole, the the people agree. These other prophets agree. Elijah had called the duel. So he agrees. The king agrees as well. And thus the duel begins. But what is the point? What is the challenge? What's the principle that you and I can apply to our name? Here it is, you're driving down the road. You see the mess of life happening around you where the world seems out of control and you and I feel that we are left to simply watch tragedy happen around us. And at best, we feel like we can show up on the scene of the accident to simply clean up the mess. We feel like we can do nothing more than help pick up the pieces, help heal broken bodies. But then does that mean as a church that we are no better than a bunch of volunteers at a soup kitchen? Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that we are left to simply help meet the needs of people who've already been devastated. That the church has no voice, no ability to get into the middle of the intersection and say, stop, there's danger ahead. We have no ability to help prevent the tragedies that are coming. We have no voice from God to intervene in the normal way of life that our neighbors, our colleagues, our city, our nation, is living. And what we see from the life of Elijah is that you can live an altogether radically different life, but it's gonna cost you something. It's gonna require you and I to stand up a little bit more like Elijah, who's willing to call a duel and confront his way of living, confront his nation's way of living. But in order to do that, you've gotta be willing to take a step not just a step, a step of faith, a step of courage, but more than courage, a step of commitment where you are willing to live all in. And so my challenge to you is to go all in. No holds barred, hold nothing back, not even counting the cost, just running all in, locked in, looking ahead, saying, this is where I must go no matter what it costs. See, you and I, I think if you're a little bit like me and I feel like most of you are, you wanna make a difference. You wanna know that your life can matter. You don't wanna go through life just being selfish and greedy. But at best, left to our own devices, we are simply treating the symptoms, not the disease. Dealing with the fruit, not the root of the problem. And so we we give to help deal with poverty. We help pick up the pieces of the accident. We get involved in social issues. We stand up for the weak. We try to defend those suffering through injustice. We give as much as we can, but it's all limited because it's all based on what we can do. Therefore, it's explainable and predictable. And the little we do will be so temporary. It'll be a quick fix to a long-term problem because at the root of the problem is not something humans can easily fix because we are part of the problem because the core problem is sin. Biblical authors refer to sin as a spiritual disease a spiritual car accident, where you and I were born with this instinct to drive right smack into the middle of the intersection and do the very thing we knew would lead to our destruction. So we disregard the signs and the commands and the ways of God, and we plow headlong into the very intersection that we know would wreck and ruin our lives. And the world around us is living the same, which is why it's as if we're in an out of control world. And this sin, It wrecks our lives. It leaves you and I on a crash course with wrecking relationships, wrecking marriages, wrecking our own hearts, our minds, and our emotions. But that's not even the worst part. It's not just that sin wrecks the world and wrecks us. It's that it cuts us off from relationship with God. And when we're spiritually cut off from God, we're cut off from the source of life, which means we're on a crash course with forever judgment always suffering the consequence for our wrongdoing and sin. And in fact, when you read the story of Elijah, he confronts this very point in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, Elijah went before the people and he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the wording he uses in the Hebrew, I mean, let me make it applicable to you. He says, how long will you waver? And the word waver is like being crippled or limping. How long will you go back and forth, limping between two different opinions? And what he's saying, there is these people who worshiped Baal and Asherah, they would dance wildly around. And he goes, while you think you're partying and dancing in the spiritual realm, you are limping. So here's, here's the word picture of a car accident. It's as if you're driving down the road and you're missing a tire and your car is weaving back and forth, going in from one lane into the other lane, headed for ruin. How long can you swerve between two oncoming traffic in your lane before you get into a horrible car accident? How long can you swerve between this opinion and that opinion between saying, I love God, but then I love myself and I'm gonna do what I want. I'm gonna obey God, or, and then I'm going to obey my desires. You see? And he's saying, if you live like this, it's going to wreck your life. It's going to wreck others' lives. It's going to wreck the nation around you. It's going to destroy people. And ultimately, it's going to lead toward a spiritual ruin. And so he challenges them. Here, here it is. Here's is your challenge. Choose. Pick a lane. If you're, going to, if, you're going to, if you're going to go into destruction, then don't pretend like you're following God. Just get it over with. But if you're gonna choose God, you gotta go all in. You have to go all the way. You you can't keep limping in and out, in and out. It's gonna wreck your life. And so my challenge, the takeaway is this, go all in with Jesus. And that's an invitation, not a command. He's inviting you to, to exit off of this road of destruction. He's saying, take the exit and come into a new way of life. Now Jesus, when we, when we read the story of Elijah, we discover that Jesus is the better version of Elijah. Let, let, me, let me give you the quick rest of the story. So Elijah calls this duel and the, the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they're gonna spend all day trying to uh, get their gods to respond with fire. And as the day unfolds, Elijah starts to make fun of them a little bit. Well, not a little bit, a lot. Actually, it's a really funny story. If you go back and read it yourself in the Bible, go back and read 1 Kings chapter 18, because Elijah says stuff like this. Well, maybe your gods are on vacation and you need to scream really loud to call them back. Maybe they're off in space somewhere. He goes, maybe your gods are going to the bathroom and you gotta gotta get their attention, tell them to come on out. That's really in the Bible. He says, maybe your gods have fallen asleep and you need to ring the bell really loud. And so these these prophets, 850 of them, screaming and singing and dancing around, they even start cutting themselves, hoping that their self-mutilation would awaken the gods and they would respond by sending fire. And then after it's all done, Elijah's like, are you guys done yet? Like you yield that God, your gods didn't send fire. They're like, yeah, we give up. And then he pauses and he prays. And God sends fire. And after God sends fire, he consumes the whole sacrifice. And Elijah says, okay, it's obvious now to you that God, the Lord is God. And then he challenges the people to kill all of the prophets of Baal. And that might shock you a little bit, but here's the deal. There was a price for evil living. Because these prophets were leading the people into a perverse and evil way of life, it was clear in this ancient time, they all had to die. Now I finished the rest of the story for this reason, because when Jesus shows up, Jesus, is God, he comes to earth, not just to confront our sin, not just to tell us you are horrible, you got in a terrible car accident, you caused the accident, you're the problem. That's not just what Jesus does, he does come and he, he helps us see that we are driven by sin and the sin ruins our life and leads to forever ruin. But Jesus does something better than Elijah because Jesus becomes the sacrifice when we all deserve to die, when we all deserve to be slaughtered on the battlefield. Because of our evil, Jesus became the sacrifice and he died in our place so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith could be forgiven of their sin and given new life so that you and I would not have to suffer the spiritual death and the forever death that we deserve because of our wrongdoing and sin. So when we believe in Jesus, we go all in With Jesus, This isn't weaving in and out on the highway. This isn't going between oncoming traffic and your lane. This is saying, I am gonna commit to going all the way with Jesus. And the great thing is, you don't have to try to awaken God. You don't have to try to get God out of the bathroom to recognize your crisis or your pain or your brokenness. He already knows and he came to rescue us. Jesus came and was present in our pain. He knows our suffering. He knows our crisis. He knows how out of control our world feels. And he took our punishment. He took our suffering. He took our eternal death on himself so that when he died, he died once for all. Now, what do you do when you believe in Jesus by faith and you go all in with Jesus? Well, I wanna give you this verse. It's a powerful verse that really helps us understand this story better and then apply it to our life. Then Elijah said to the people, This is the moment when he's gonna gonna begin to pray. That they finished their crazy frenzied sacrifice that didn't work. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And You kind of hear, the words of Jesus, right? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden. Come to me and I will give you rest for your souls, right? Okay, so Elijah's saying, come to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. And, and I wanna challenge you. So in the, in the original language, the word repair doesn't just mean to rebuild, it means to heal. And, and it's as if what's happening here is that Elijah is healing. He's bringing a healing to the relationship between the people and their God. And you and I, when we go all in with Jesus, what we need is a healing in our relationship between us and God. Some of you simply by believing in Jesus today by faith, that means you repent of your old way of living. You repent of the direction you are driving you turn around and you say, God, I wanna, I wanna head toward you. I wanna receive this new life. I wanna receive forgiveness of my sins. And, and there's a healing that takes place in our lives spiritually. But others of you, you believe in Jesus, but the altar where you once came and worshiped has been broken. And you need to begin to rebuild or begin to heal that relationship by recovering or restoring your prayer life, getting back into the habits of worship, getting back into the habit of giving to God, of of loving God, of serving God, of reading his word so that you can be reminded of who God is and what he's done for you. And so can I just challenge you, maybe today your takeaway is that you need to begin to rebuild or heal that relationship with God. And I promise you, Jesus came to bring healing. Where the the accidents already happened, through faith in Jesus Christ, God brings healing to the brokenness. God brings healing to tragedy. And through faith in Jesus Christ, you can be restored. The altar, that place where you can meet God can be rebuilt. If you would just simply cry out to him, God, I need you today. God, I can't keep going down this road anymore. God, I need you to forgive me. I need you to take away the guilt and the shame. And I promise you that crying out to God will bring healing to your relationship. Now, when you discover and you begin to uncover the fact that you have gone all in with Jesus, then and only then do you take the next step, which is this, then you go all in by living scent. Here's where we come back to the idea of being a messenger. See, Elijah went all in. He, he set up a duel where there was no going back. He said, look, here's what we're going to do. You're going to offer sacrifice. I'm going to offer sacrifice. You're going to cry out to your gods. I'm going to cry out to my God. And whoever sends fire, he's God. Kind of like an impossible situation. I mean, if this doesn't work, Elijah looks, he doesn't just look foolish. He's probably going to end up Dead. He has gone all in because he lived sent. He lived on mission. He lived as a missionary. So I'm going to I'm going to read you a little bit more of the story. Here it is. We're continuing in 1 Kings chapter 18. This is, here's how the duel is going to play out. So now it's his turn. Here's what he says. Fill four large jars with water and pour it over on the offering and on the wood. So he goes, here's what I do." he offers his animal, right? So you're talking ancient times. It feels a little weird. Don't worry. We don't have any animal sacrifices here, but in ancient times, this is how they worshiped. And so he offers his, his animal on the altar with the wood. And then he says, now douse it with water over and over. Do it again. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it a third time. And the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. So he dug a trench around the altar. They poured so much water on this sacrifice that it filled everything. And the point was this, Elijah was setting up a situation where if God didn't show up, it was going to go badly. If, if, If God didn't send the fire, it was gonna be obvious that there is no God. And Elijah was willing to put himself in a place where it was impossible to work out without God showing up. And sometimes you will find yourself in situations that feel impossible, out of control. It's beyond your ability, beyond your control. And there are reasons why you are in the impossible situation that looks wildly out of control because it is an opportunity for God to show up and do what only God can do. If you can fix the problem, you don't need God. If you could figure it out on your own, you're not gonna be dependent on God. And so there are moments when God allows us to get cornered in a situation where our only option, our only resource is God. There is no explainable way out of it. There is no predictable way to get through it. You need God to show up. And then he prays in verse 37, answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And the word to know, he goes like this, so that they will know that you are the Lord God. And the word know is not an intellectual assent. He's using a powerful word that is sometimes in the Bible used to reference sexual intimacy. The idea of deeply and intimately knowing someone because you have experienced deep relationship with them because you have encountered profound love. He goes, God, would you answer with fire so that people would not just have an intellectual awareness of who you are, but that they would come into deep, personal, intimate contact with your power and your love. He said, this is why I'm here. God, I understand the only reason why I'm on earth is so that you could show up in my life and you could show up through my life so that others would encounter you so that others could experience your intimate love in a powerful way through my life. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate on and they cried, oh, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Because one man was willing to go all in by living scent and said, God, I'm gonna give everything to you. And I'm gonna make sure I live my life in such a way that your presence is revealed through my life so that you can show up and you can show off through me so that others will know you intimately and personally because they encountered you through my life. Then God's fire falls and people go, wow, he is God. And that story points ahead to another story Jesus died on a cross. He rose again. Before he leaves and ascends to heaven, he says, I want you to wait and have a prayer meeting because I'm going to send the person of the Holy Spirit. And so then Jesus ascends and the the followers of Jesus begin to pray. And, and And in Acts chapter two, it says that God's spirit comes in fire as if fire was coming down on each of the individuals. And the picture we have there is that God's Holy Spirit is the fire that fills our life. We become a living sacrifice of God. Our life carries the fire of the Holy Spirit so that others can encounter Jesus. See, God wants you to partner with him and participate with him in what he is doing. God can do it without us, but he invites his people to participate in what he is doing. And your responsibility is to go all in by living sent, by recognizing that you are not here on earth to do what you want. You are not here on earth for your own desires. When you follow Jesus, you are called to be a messenger. Our world needs people who are willing to be bold messengers in a world that is going in the wrong direction a tragic accident. And so God fills your life with the fire. Jesus described it this way before he left in Acts chapter one, verse eight. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, my messengers in Jerusalem. That's right where they were. In Judea, that's the region where they were. In Samaria, that's the next door region and to the ends of the earth. He didn't say some of you are gonna be called to be missionaries. He said, every one of you will receive the fire of the Holy Spirit, power, and then you will go out and be my messengers, where you live, in the region where you live, in the next door regions, and then across the globe. You and I, if we go all in with Jesus, then we're gonna go all in by living sent. You begin to partner with what God is doing. There was a prayer meeting that began in 1727 in a small church on a German estate. This, the guy, the landowner, Count Zinzendorf had invited refugees who were fleeing war to come and live on his property. And they started a church called the Moravian Church. And they began to have a 24-hour prayer vigil. They did this day after day, year after year for decades. And while they were having prayer meetings for decades, 24 hours a day, Word had come from the West Indies that there was, a, there was a wealthy landowner who had about 3000 slaves who had never heard the message of Jesus. And the, and the owner was an atheist who hated the idea of God and hated uh, people who wanted to tell others about God and had forbidden anyone who believed in God to come onto his West Indies estate. And two young men who were part of that prayer gathering they felt like God was speaking to them to go and become missionaries to, those, to the West Indies, to share the message of Jesus with these 3,000 slaves who had never heard about Jesus' love. But since the landowner would never let them in, they had only one way. They sold everything they owned. They used it to buy a, a passage on a ship that sailed to the West Indies where then they sold themselves into slavery so that they would be counted among the slaves, where then they could share the message of Jesus. The last words ever heard from these two young men's mouth, as they set sail on the ship, they were never heard from again. The last words, they called back to their fellow churchgoers. And they said, may the lamb that was slain, referencing Jesus as the sacrifice for sin, receive the reward of his suffering. Meaning we offer ourselves willingly because of what Jesus did for us. You go all in. You go all in no matter what. But here's what I know happens. When you are willing to go all in, God shows up in a powerful way in your life, through your life, so that you're not relegated to just picking up the pieces of the accident. You go all in by putting yourself in between others and the accident that's about to happen by saying, whoa, there is a God that loves you. There is a God that is for you. You don't have to keep swerving in and out of the lanes. There is an exit discovering the love of God and and what you and I need today is we need to first experience God on our own. You need an encounter with God. And then you need to receive God's Holy Spirit with power in your life so that then you can go out and you can become a change agent in the world around you. So I wanna encourage you right now, would you pause? Some of you, your first decision is to stop wavering to say, I am going all in with Jesus. And if that's where you're at, then that's your commitment to say, Jesus, I believe in you by faith. I'm willing to surrender my life to you. I'm willing to repent of my old way of living and receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and allow his spirit to enter my spirit. And if that's where you're at, then you make that your commitment. But others of you, you believe in Jesus, but you're not living with the power of God at work in your life. You're not living sent. You're not living on mission. You're just going through the motions. You're just driving down the road not a care in the world. It's time for you to go all in and say, God, I'm willing to live sent. I'm willing to give my life to the cause of Christ and for the purposes of God. And I'm willing to receive God's spirit in my life. So that's what I encourage you to do right now. Would you just pause and pray? But as you're praying, with eyes closed, can I just encourage you, maybe raise your hands. I'm gonna pray over you. And what I'm praying is that you would experience God, that you would encounter God's spirit in this place, that you would receive the power of God. You would receive the presence of God in a powerful way. Would you maybe do that right now? Maybe just lift your hands. Holy Spirit. Thank you that you come in power. Jesus, thank you for coming and dying on the cross and rising from the dead so that we don't, have to, we don't have to die in our sins and go into eternal ruin. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus. And thank you for sending the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live as messengers in a world that calls ruin normal. Help us to live in such a way that others can encounter you because they have met us. Help us to live as bold messengers where others hear the love of Jesus powerfully through our lives. May it be obvious that you alone are God. May every aspect of our life reveal that you truly are God. And we ask this in the powerful and awesome name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.